In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, tell me if you've ever experienced this or if I'm the only one. Uh, every once in a while, on a Friday or Saturday night, after my wife and I have put our daughter down to sleep, it's the end of the week and, and we're tired. and so, so we just end up plopping down on, on the couch and we start scrolling through Netflix. Right? We don't have anything in mind we want to watch. We're not in the middle of a series or something like that. We just want some movie for an hour or two to veg out. and We know we're probably going to fall asleep, but we just want to get something going. And so we start scrolling through all of the titles. And of course, uh, there are thousands. And eventually, maybe one of us passes off the control to the other and says, okay, you take a look. I don't see anything that catches my eye. And that'll happen back and forth a, a few more times until one of us says, okay, just pick something. I don't care what it is. I'm going to fall asleep anyway. Let's Let's just get something going. And so we finally find something that catches our eye and we start watching it for maybe five or 10 minutes when, when one of us realizes, I, I think I've seen this before. This, this story sounds familiar, but we'll, we'll leave it on for five or 10 minutes more just to see how things play out. And, and then eventually it hits us. We, we have seen this movie before. We watched it last weekend when we were both half asleep. Um, maybe you know what that's like, or maybe you know what this is like, a very similar situation that comes out of the same circumstances. So every once in a while, my wife and I will be sitting down on the couch uh, Friday or Saturday night, end of the week, we'll put our daughter to, to bed, we'll wanna watch something on Netflix, we start scrolling and passing the remote. Finally, we find something when five or 10 minutes into it, and I have to tell you, uh, I'll have to pause here, that this usually happens with romantic comedies. So I apologize if, if you're a fan of this genre, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just usually happens with uh, romantic comedies. We'll, we'll be five or 10 minutes into this romantic comedy when I'll, I'll think to myself, I've, I've seen this before. This story sounds familiar to me. And so we'll watch it for five or 10 minutes more just to see what, what happens. And then it'll hit me that I have actually not seen this romantic comedy before. It's just that this romantic comedy it's pretty much like every other romantic comedy that, that has ever been made, right? Because they're all pretty derivative. One romantic comedy just follows the script of the one that came before it, right? Two people meet that never should have met. When they first meet, they don't want anything to do with each other, but, but eventually they fall in love and then it's happily ever after. And uh, maybe you've experienced that too. Um, I bring this up, I talk about romantic comedies today. And again, it's not just romantic comedies. I think some action movies are like this, right? They're all following a very similar script. There's nothing inspired or particularly creative uh, about them. They're very derivative. I bring this up because I think our reading for today from Acts chapter three is kind of like romantic comedy. <laughs> not in the plot of the story, but in the fact that when you read the story from Acts chapter three of, of the miracle that Peter and, and John do to this paralyzed man, that you might have the reaction where you think to yourself, I've, I've heard this before, I've seen this before. And, and not because you've read Acts chapter three before, but, but because you've simply watched the life of Jesus in the gospels. Right? What Peter and John do today in healing this man is pretty much what Jesus spent his ministry doing. Right? As he walked around Galilee, he was healing people just like this. But, but there's also one story that, that Luke also wrote in, in the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 5 that sounds almost exactly like this story. And, and so you might wonder, well, what's going on here? Is this divine plagiarism? Peter and John are just taking a page out of Jesus' playbook, just stealing a few lines off of that script. And, and I think the point is, yes, that is exactly what they're doing. And there's nothing particularly creative or inspired by it. But, but that's what Christians do. Followers of Jesus are simply called to do what Jesus did. And, and that means our, our lives will look derivative. It, uh, th there will be nothing new to them 
in one sense. It doesn't take a whole lot of creativity or, or inspiration. We just do what Jesus did. Now, having said that, I, I do want to make it clear. I, I, I think that the Christian life, the followers of Jesus, need to think creative, creatively. And I, I think we should seek after inspiration. And, and the way that we live like Jesus will look different from time to time based on our circumstances or, or the culture that we're living in. But, but the core of what we do and, and the very heart of what we give should always be what Jesus did and what he has given us. And, and here's one way to, to think about that and how we ought to view create, uh, creativity in the Christian life. Uh, believe it or not, every year, uh, my wife has a birthday. Every year, it just keeps coming up. And uh, every year, my, my goal for that day is the same, right? I want that to be a day in which she knows that she is special and that she is loved and that her family thinks a whole lot of her and is awfully thankful for her. Now, uh, I might not be the best at showing her that, but, but that's, my, that's my goal. And if, if I did that every year in the same exact way, eventually it would get old, right? If every single year on her birthday, I, I bought her the same colored flowers and took her to the same restaurant, the first year would be fun and exciting, maybe even the second year too, but, but eventually it would get, get kind of old. And, and eventually the, the message I want to send, right, that she's special, that we think a whole lot of her, that we're thankful for her, that we love her, that, that message might get lost in the routine and the rut of it all. And so what I, what I should try to do is every year try to do something new, something exciting. I thought, ought to think creatively. But, but the core message never changes. I don't need to be creative about that, right? Because the core of what I want her to know is love and respect and thankfulness for who she is. Now, the, again, the packaging around that changes. Maybe some years I'll take her to a restaurant, other years I'll trip, the next year will be a picnic. But, but the very heart of it never changes. And I think the same is true of the Christian life. At the very heart of what we do is what Jesus did for us. And all that we have to give as Christians is what Christ first gave to us. And, and, and I think the truth is that if our lives don't look a whole lot like Jesus's, Right? If, if they look completely different from his, if people can't make any connections, connections between what we do and what we give in, in the life of Christ, then something's wrong. And in fact, I think the greatest compliment that we could ever get is for someone to look at us and the ways that we live and the things that we do and to say uh, about us and, and to us, that looks familiar. What you're doing looks a lot like Jesus. Isn't that the best thing someone could ever say? And so Jesus' followers simply do what Jesus did. Our lives should look derivative. We ought to take a page out of his playbook and steal a few lines off of his script because that's the life we're called to, to do what Jesus did and to give what he has given us. Now, now the reason we do that, the, the reason why our lives look so much like the life of Christ, the reason why we, we just take a page out of his playbook is, is for three reasons. And, and the first reason why we do what Jesus did and, and give what he first gave, is, is because Jesus lives in us. Uh, this is a major theme in the book of Acts that actually kind of kicks off in, in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3 of the book of Acts begins this new theme that, that the temple, that is, you know, the building where God lived in, in Jerusalem, those four walls that housed his presence, that the temple is no longer the temple. The people are the temple. 
That, that now God doesn't love, live in a, a building made with hands, but he lives inside of his people. That Jesus comes to us through a spirit living and dwelling in each and every one of us. And so we no longer need to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to, to be with God. But God has come to us. And Jesus, by his spirit, lives in us. Right? And because Jesus lives in us, we do what Jesus did and give what he gave and the second reason why we do that uh, is because Jesus works through us. The one who lives in us wants to, to work through our hands and our feet and our minds and, and our mouths to do his will and his work in this world. And, and so when we do the things that Jesus did, we don't get credit for that. We don't pat ourselves on the back because we recognize that it's Christ working through us and he gets all of the praise and all of the glory. And then the third reason why we, we do what Jesus did and give what he gave is because because of what Christ has first done for us. And when you have had someone like Jesus live for you and die for you and rise for you, when, when, you, have have, when you have been given grace and mercy and compassion and kindness and, and forgiveness and love, right? When you have been given peace and hope and, and joy, it's all that you can do but to share that with others. When you trust and, and believe that you can't outgive God and, and, and so you're just free to give it all away. That, that's what you do because of what Christ has done for you. Christ is in you, working through you, and doing so much for you. So Christians do what Jesus did and give what he gave. Uh, there is something about my calling as a, a pastor that, uh, that I, I was a little surprised to learn was such a big part of the job. Uh, it was something in seminary I, I knew was uh, at least part of the calling, uh, but I, I didn't realize how much time it would take, and, and that is writing. When I was in seminary, I knew that pastors had to write sermons and, and Bible studies, but I've come to see that there's a whole lot of writing involved, right? There's, there's sermons, there's Bible studies, there's devotions for before meetings, there's prayers, there's newsletter articles to the congregation, there's emails to, to members of the church answering questions or, or talking them, them through things. And uh, now I'm actually back in school again, so I'm writing papers one, once again. And there's just a whole lot of writing going on in my life right now. And b believe it or not, uh, well, most of you will believe this if you've heard me preach or, or teach before, uh, but believe it or not, th there are some times when I just go through a major, major time of writer's block. And I'm just waiting for that creative spark to come, but it never does. And I'm waiting around to be inspired by something, but I'm just not. Or I'm waiting to think of that story that will just engage the listener, and I just can't think of of one. Uh, but, but the best advice that I ever heard about writing, and I don't remember who told me this or where I heard it, is, is that as a writer, you, you don't wait for the creativity or the inspiration to come before you start writing. Instead, you just start writing. And then the creativity and the inspiration may flow. And I think that's also true of our Christian calling. We are called to live like Jesus, whether we're feeling creative or inspired or not. And sometimes I think we've done ourselves no favors and we've actually hurt our witness by, by waiting until things are just right, right? By, by waiting for that perfect moment to all come together, right? We, we want to tell our coworker about Jesus, but we're just waiting until the moment and the lighting and the feeling is, is, is right and all the pieces come together how we want them to. Sometimes those pieces might never come together how we hope. Or, 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 or maybe we're waiting for, for just the right words, right? We're, we just want to be eloquent in our presentation. Or, or maybe we're waiting until we know a little bit more. 
so we can answer all the tough questions. Or, or maybe we're waiting for the passion to come. We, we want to serve Jesus, but we just want to find that ministry that we're, we're passionate about. We're waiting to find something that, that fills us with passion. But, but again, Christians are simply called to live like Christ. And that doesn't take a lot of creativity or inspiration, right? We're just called to go out there and, and to serve our families and, and to sacrifice for our community and, and, and to, to, to be kind and compassionate to our coworkers and to be generous with the material blessings we've been given. We are called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us because that's what Jesus did. Uh, I had a, a professor in, in seminary who was the leader of our seminary life team. That it was a club a group on, on campus that um, that fought for and, and educated uh, uh, about the value and dignity of every human life, no matter what stage they're at, from the unborn all the way to the elderly, to, to young people, to, to young teenage moms, and everyone in between. And it was a busy group on campus. And I remember one day sitting in class with this professor when someone asked him, how did you get to be so passionate about this club, this cause? I still remember his answer. His answer is, I'm not. <laughs> he said, sometimes the, the last thing I want to do on a Saturday morning is wake up early to, to meet with this new young teenage mom, to get her settled in to her new home and, and to get her all of the things she's going to need to, to welcome this life into the world and, and to get her set up and, and secure. And that he's like, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to sit in bed and sleep a little longer and pour myself a cup of coffee. Or, or sometimes the last thing I want to do, he, he, he would say, is, is meet with a, a dying elderly man who's on his deathbed at, at, at nine o'clock at night. I, he said, I would much rather be at home with my wife watching TV. He said, I'm not always passionate about it, but it's what Jesus did. He showed dignity and respect and honor and care and tangible acts of love to me. And so what else could he do but to show it to others? And whether he was passionate about it or not, or whether he had the, the most creative idea surrounding it or not, or he felt inspired to do it or not, it didn't matter because Jesus' followers are simply called to do what Jesus did. Because Jesus is working in us and through us but most importantly, because of all that Jesus has done for us. I mean, wasn't that the case with Peter and John? Think of all that Jesus had done for those two men. Here was Peter who had denied Jesus and, and, and walked away from him in his greatest moment of need. And, and Jesus had welcomed him back and redeemed him and, and used him once again. And, and then there was John, right, who, who, who sat there at the foot of the cross while his Savior bled and died for him. So what else could he do? But, but show people that same love and care and compassion. And the same is true of us, dear friends. Jesus has done so much for you, more than you deserve, certainly more than, than I, I can imagine. And when you have a Savior who's done that for you, what else can you do but do that for others? And so, dear friends, let your life be like a romantic comedy. <laughs> it's okay to take a page out of Jesus' playbook. It's okay to engage in some divine plagiarism. It's good for our lives to look a whole lot like Christ's because what a life that was. In Jesus' name, amen.